Today we are continuing our series um, entitled Living Abundantly. We, we took a break last week, obviously, with Easter, and we wanted to focus on that. And we thank the Lord for everything and everybody. Uh, listen, we had so many people volunteering. Uh, we had as many people out there serving as we did in here during the service. And we had probably as many people or close to it over in the kids' service as we did over here. And, and uh, it was awesome. So uh, we, we probably close, came close to doubling our average attendance. Uh, it's just that it was split up between the two places. And, and between the two places, there were nine people who responded for salvation over there and two that responded over here. So we give God glory for what he's done. So today we're going to get back to what we were, had been dealing with because we've been talking about living abundantly. We've been talking about the characteristics of the abundant life that Jesus promised to believers. And I believe that those characteristics are summed up in what we know as the fruit of the Spirit that Paul listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what he wrote. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And we've been talking about these things because I believe that if you have these things growing in your life, your life will be, will be an abundant life. You will have a, a wonderful, uh, uh, abundant, full life. If these things are growing in your life. It's, and we've talked about a number of these today. We're going to be talking about the fruit of faith or the fruit of faithfulness. It doesn't matter which you choose. Some translations translate it different ways. We'll, uh, we'll talk about why that is in just a few moments. But turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 11, which is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 6. And we're going to be looking at a few different verses throughout the chapter this morning. But Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and verse 6 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord God, that your spirit would come upon us this morning as never before. Lord, we long to hear a word from you about your faithfulness. Speak to us, O God, and, and call us to higher levels of the abundant living in our lives. And, and, and God, we, we long to know the fullness of life that you've prepared for us. You, you have ministered to our hearts in, in, during praise and worship. We have experienced your presence. We're so grateful for that. And, and Lord, you have used that to open us up to you. And so now, Holy Spirit, we just pray, come. Come right now. Come, Holy Spirit, and commune with us in our innermost being. And I, I'm not asking God that you would give me a clever message today. I'm not asking for earthly wisdom. Lord, I just simply humble myself before you and before all these people. And I'm asking only this, God, that when we leave this place today, that every person here will say, surely this day I have heard from a faithful God. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We believe as a church and in our fellowship with the Assemblies of God, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still active and in operation in, in the church today. And if, 
And if you're familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, as, as they're listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it may seem unusual to you that faith is listed as a fruit of the Spirit and as a gift of the Spirit. And the, the issue for us reading this has to do with the fact that the New Testament was written in Greek and not in English. The, the word that the, which the Greeks used to mean faith is the same word they used to mean faithful. And only by examining the context and by the grammar can we discern the difference between faith and faithful. And so that's why sometimes you have the, uh, the context is not perfectly clear. And so you have one tra translations that will say, that will say faith, one that will say faithful. But I, here's what I really believe. I believe that the two words are so faith and faithfulness are so closely related that really there isn't a great distinction between the two words. We see here in this passage from Hebrews that this is talking about faith as an active verb. Faith is believing. And I, I, I see that there is a sense here that uh, as we read about faith that, we, that I can say I have faith and so I believe. I, I believe that God exists. I believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I believe something that the Bible teaches. So faith becomes an active thing in, instead of just a state of being. Um, but And then faithfulness, on the other hand, it does speak more of a state of being. Uh, it speaks of diligence and dependability and, and unchangeableness as we talk about the faithfulness of God. But what exactly is the connection between faith and faithfulness? Well, let's start by looking at Abraham. You see in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about him in verses 8 through 10. It says, by faith, Abraham... When called to go to go to a place he would later receive his, his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, was speaking of Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham had a faith that God would honor his promise. Abraham had faith that God would do what he said he would do, but he and, and so therefore he faithfully acted out that faith. He, he didn't just look once, and the, he, but he looked and he continued looking and kept on looking, waiting on God's fulfillment, uh, faithfulness to fulfill the promise. So, so we see here with Abraham, there's a connection between what I believe, my faith, and the faithful outworking of that belief. And you see it all through his life. He believed, he had faith in God that he would give him his son Isaac, but he lived out that faith in faithful living in his life. We also see it in the life of Joseph. In verse 22 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And his instructions that he gave were this. They said, When you come to the land of promise, do not leave my bones here in Egypt. Carry them with you and bury them in Israel. That was his command. Now you say, well, that has to do with faith. That's not faithfulness. That's just, he just has faith that God's going to carry the, the Israelites to, eat, to the promised land and get them out of Egypt. But he is looking beyond his death and he's believing by faith that God would be faithful to his promise that the people of Israel would be brought out of Egypt and out of bondage and that they would receive the promise of the land, which, which he had declared to them by, by the mouth of God. 
But I defy you to find any servant of God in all of Scripture who was more faithful than Joseph. I mean, when Joseph was in slavery, he was faithful to God. When he was in prison, he was faithful to God. When he was falsely accused of rape, he was faithful to, faithful to God. When, when it appeared that he might be sentenced to death, he was faithful to God. Through, through all of the years of loneliness and isolation and, and what seemed to be setback after setback after setback. Anybody here ever had seasons in your life? It just seemed like no matter what you tried, everything went wrong. Listen, Joseph had that for 17 years. Setback after setback after setback. And yet he was faithful to God. He who proved faithful through prison and setbacks and defeats and discouragement. He who proved faithful to God when God seemingly was faithless to Joseph proved faithful even beyond his death so that the lifetime habit of Joseph continued on his deathbed. He had been so faithful through his entire life that even as he lay dying, he couldn't break the habit of being faithful. Joseph was faithful, which by the way, think about that word faithful, full of faith. And, and he acted the faith, that faith out with a, in a diligence that reached even beyond his grave. Look, look at Joshua, also recorded as an example of faith in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. This is when Joshua is leading the people of Israel into the promised land. You know the story. They, they, he got this battle plan from God and said, march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around seven days. And I don't know about you, but I hear that battle plan and I'm thinking, God, that's the dumbest battle plan I've ever heard in my life. Anybody with me? This is not to make, this doesn't make any sense, God. How are we going to win this? You know, and, and so, and we might say that, that acting out, that doing that, that was, it was the active, dynamic, supernatural power of Joshua's faith that pulled down the walls of Jericho. And you, you might say, what does this have to do with faithfulness? But remember this, remember this, this is so important. It says that the wall fell after the army marched around them for seven days. After they did this, after they acted out their faith, there, there, there must have been times, I know human nature, there must have been times in that time of marching around the walls of Jericho when the generals and the colonels and the majors and the captains and all the non-commissioned officers said to Joshua, Joshua, this is crazy. We're marching around out here in the hot sun day after day after day, and we are not accomplishing anything. And Joshua kept, just kept saying, we're going to be faithful. God has given us a commandment and we're going to obey. We're going to be faithful. But here's the thing. You can't be faithful to the command of God unless you're full of faith that God himself is faithful to the promise that's behind the command. I'm going to say that again because a, that's a mouthful. You can't be faithful to the command of God unless you're full of faith that God himself is faithful to the promise that is behind the command. Why are we faithful to his commands? Because we believe that God who made the promise is faithful. So, so I believe it's really counterproductive uh, for us to try to separate the issue or the idea of faith and, uh, a, a, as a supernatural dynamic and faithfulness as a lifestyle because if you have faith, it gives birth to faithfulness. Faith is the root and faithfulness is the fruit. 
It's what grows out of the faith. You cannot have faith without faithfulness. If you don't have faithfulness, you don't really have faith because you're not being, you don't really believe that God is faithful to the promise. Does this make sense? You can't, you can't separate the two. We also, we, we can see faithfulness in the character of God. He, he is faithful to redeem his creation. Jesus, here's the good news. Jesus is not going to leave things as they are. How many of you know the world is a mess? Can I, can I get a big amen? amen? Here's the good news. Jesus is not going to leave things as they are, no matter how long God waits he is going to do it. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. This is about his promise to come back to this earth. It's not slow. He's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he is waiting and longing for the full number of those who will believe to be brought into the household of faith and into the company of the redeemed. But in the final analysis, uh, at the right moment, at the fullness of the dispensation of time, God has promised us the return of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and God will be faithful to that. We shall rise to meet him in the air. We will receive new bodies. God will be faithful to that. I'm just so excited because I'm not always going to live in this chubby little five foot nine body. I'm going to be, I believe I'm going to be six foot six when the day comes. That's, I'm claiming that in the name of Jesus. I'm begging for that. And, and I believe I'm just, I'm just holding on to that, that we're going to be able to eat chocolate and not gain a pound. Can I, somebody say praise the Lord. Now we're getting some, everybody's, everybody's, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, uh, a hoedown this morning and people say you preach about chocolate and no gain in weight. So anyway, but first John three, two says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. God will not leave us in these bodies. And listen, the older you get, the more precious that promise becomes. Can you get an amen from those that have been around a while? You know, when you're young, your body feels good and you're like, hey, you know, this wouldn't be bad for eternity. But then, you know, after a while, pretty soon you're like, this whole, this whole body's just breaking down. It hurts all the time. And, and if one part's not hurting, I have had a friend in South Carolina used to say this, and I th I'm finding it more and more true. He said to me, he was nearing 80, I think at the time. And he, he, he always used to say, well, Pastor Dave, it ain't, if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. <laughs> so I have good news. Every part of my body is working now. So, <laughs> so anyway, but God will be faithful to that promise. He will be faithful to redeem all of his created order. Second, God is faithful to redeem those who believe. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. This is not a promise that is just for some elite group of people who have somehow stumbled onto the promise. But here's what I know. I can look anybody right straight in the eye from the shadow of the Kremlin to the death to death row on Folsom prison. I can look at anybody and I can say to anyone, no matter what he or she has believed, no matter what he or she has done, no matter how evil he or she has been, I can look at them and say, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
I can say that. God will reconcile you to himself. I can say that because of the faithfulness of God, because he will be faithful to do what he said. Uh, th- there was a business, I think it was a bank that many years ago that used, used a slogan that said, we promise performance. You know something? That's the best the world can offer. But God says, I don't just promise performance. I perform promises. He keeps his promises. What God has spoken, he will do it. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.24 and then 2 Thessalonians 3.3, it says, God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. And then 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. So we see that there is a connection between the faithfulness of God and faithfulness as a lifestyle in the believers, in the life of believers. This is a basic rule of husbandry, you know, and anybody that's worked in a farm can tell you this. Animals bear their own kind. What, what does that mean? Rabbits give birth to rabbits. Dogs give birth to dogs. And that right, Josh and Ailey. <laughs> They've seen a few of those at their house. Uh, the uh, Chickens hatch out chickens. You know, donkeys, I mean, is a donkey going to give birth to a chair? No, no, not a chance. John 1.12 says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Shall it be then that God will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give birth to sons and daughters that look nothing like him at all? No. It says that we are to become partakers of the divine nature. And if God's divine nature is that He is faithful and that, he, and that God will follow through and do what He says He will do, then we must understand that the life of Christ that flows through me will carry with it the fruit of faithfulness. Now, what's the counterfeit for faithfulness in the flesh? What's the world's substitute for the genuine fruit of faithfulness in their, in their lives? Here it is. Stubbornness. Stubbornness is a worldly counterfeit for faithfulness. Often stubbornness, you know, a proud, unteachable spirit passes in the world for being faithful. But faithfulness says, I'm going to put my hand to the plow and I'm not going to quit no matter what anybody says to me because I know that my God is faithful to his promise. That's faithfulness. But the counterfeit of stubbornness says, I won't change my mind no matter what evidence you may show me. I won't be taught, I won't be schooled, I won't be broken, I won't confess, I won't repent, I won't change. It's a fleshly counterfeit, and it is highly counterproductive and destructive substitute for the great fruit of faithfulness. There's an old movie that I, if you've been around for a while, you've probably seen it, especially if you like old war movies. But anybody here ever seen the movie, The the Bridge on the River Kwai? Yes, somebody get excited over there. Chocolate and the and more old war movies. Here we go. But but in this story, if you've never seen it, it's a it's a great old flick. But the senior Allied prisoner of war in a Japanese prison camp uh, is a British colonel, and when, when he is ordered by the Japanese to engineer and build a railroad bridge across the River Kwai, 
using prison labor. And of course, uh, that is the immediate task for which, which he's given. And he, in his British diligence, wants to see it through. But what is the primary, the primary duty of any prisoner of war? It, it, is, it, is to, it is not to build bridges for the enemy, but it is to do all that they can to frustrate every war effort of the enemy, if they can. So by the end of the movie, though, in his pride, he has forgotten the Allied war effort. He's, he's forgotten suffering in the Battle of Britain. He's forgotten the, his fellow soldiers who have died. And all he's concerned with is the egotistical identification of his own perfectionism with the engineering and building of that bridge until at the very end of the movie, the British colonel is protecting the bridge from the Allies. He's actually trying to keep them from blowing up the bridge across which Japanese troops trains, troop trains will cross from Thailand to fight the British in Burma. You say, what insanity could cause that? Well, it is the same insanity that causes somebody to sit in church and say, I won't be converted no matter what God does. I won't break, I won't yield, I won't surrender, I won't be taught about the things of God, I'm not going to Sunday school even if somebody holds a gun to my head, I'm only here because my wife threatened me with divorce, but God will never reach me. That's stubbornness. That person is actually protecting the wall which has been put up around his life by satanic influence to keep God out. He's actually fighting to keep that wall in place that won't allow the, the God of grace and redemption and love and truth and life to come into his life and fill him with the promises of God. Jesus, Jesus said, I've not come that they would die. I didn't come to bring condemnation and guilt and fear and death. He said, I came to bring reconciliation and love and life and truth and liberty and holiness and all the things that make life joyful and happy and fulfilling. And yet, and yet, men fight God tooth and nail. Bare knuckle, down in the trenches, hand-to-hand combat to keep God from knocking down the wall that keeps God out of their lives. It's the same independent counterfeit for, for faithfulness called stubbornness. So what's the application of this great fruit of the Spirit uh, of faithfulness in life and in relationships? How, how, how can we first, of all, how can we detect a lack of faith and faithfulness in our lives? First of all, we can, we can detect the lack of faithfulness by the impulse of our flesh acted out in ways which deny faithfulness. I want you to turn back to, to Galatians chapter 5, the passage upon which this whole series is based. So often we, we read Galatians 5 and we only read the fruit of the Spirit and we forget that there's also a list there of the works of the flesh. Galatians 5.19, we're going to start reading there in a moment. Now as I read these works of the flesh out, I, I want you to take note of every time we come to a work of the flesh which you would see as being the natural result of a life without faithfulness. So every time I read something that you, you believe comes as a result of a person lacking faithfulness in their life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand just every time you hear something like that. So you've got one hand in your Bible, you've got the other hand ready. And every time I read a work of the flesh that would, that would be the natural result of a life of faithfulness, of faithlessness or unfaithfulness, 
Every time you see that, every time you hear that, I want you to raise your hand, okay? You ready? You ready? You got your hand ready? Everybody put your hand up. Let me see. Okay, you got your hand ready. I just want to make sure. Here, I'm going to read it. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Okay. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Yeah, that's being faithless to God and worshiping other gods. Sorcery. Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties and other sins like these. Here's, here's the truth. The reality is if you think about all of these, the fact is the entire panorama of all the works of the flesh are tied to a lack of this one great fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. By, by drunkenness, by drug addiction, by sexual immorality, both before and after marriage, by being changeable, by being undependable, in all of these ways, I detect a, that I have a lack of faith. That, that's the reason why James responded to the strong and clearly needed emphasis on faith in all the letters of Paul. Paul wrote, it is, it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is a clear word from God. We must safeguard that truth at all costs. But James, he wrote because he, he was seeing lives of people claiming to have faith in their lives, but they were being faithless in their marriages. They were being faithless in their church lives. They were being faithless to God. They were being faithless in their workplace and they were undependable. They wouldn't show up for work. They were, they were people that were faithless. And James said to them, you tell me you have faith. That's great. I'm so glad you have faith. He said, let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it in action. Let's see it in your relationships. Let's see it in the workplace. This is crucially important as we attempt to live out our Christianity in a world that is highly antagonistic and becoming more and more antagonistic to Christians and to the church. It's critically important that the world sees our faith in action in terms of faithfulness. So what damage is done by a life without faith, without faithfulness? Well, faithlessness injects insecurity and instability into the lives of others, which is highly destructive. For example, if your parents are unstable and undependable, it makes people neurotic and fearful. It breeds insecurity in your life. Nothing and no one can be trusted. You know, most people who have a hard time, and listen, this is really important, most people who have a hard time believing in the faithfulness of God have been brought up by unfaithful fathers particularly, but parents in general. They've been, or they've been deserted by unfaithful fathers. Many people have a hard time identifying with the phrase, the fatherhood of God in any kind of positive sense because they don't see a father as a good thing. They don't identify that idea of, of the fatherhood of God as someone who is firm and steady, uh, who's always in place, always dependable, always loving, always caring, always providing, always strengthening, and always protecting. They have seen fathers who cared about themselves and lived in selfishness. They divorced their mothers, they deserted them, and they wouldn't provide for them. And that, that's the reason the, why the Bible is so clear to perfectly clear to us men where it says in, in 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, physically, spiritually, emotionally, 
relationally in prayer, not just taking care of make sure they have enough to eat, but taking care of the whole person. The man who will not provide for his family, he says, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The man who claims to have faith but won't provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever because he claims a faith that he is not willing to live out. Faithlessness breeds instability and insecurity in the lives of others. Second, faithlessness causes rejection. Men who are faithless to their lives leave behind them broken neurotic shells. Thank you, sir. Uh, that Broken neurotic shells that the loving church has to pick up and care for and try to overcome and cast out the spirit of rejection. If I had a $1,000 for every woman who has been divorced and deserted by her husband who was left behind with a spirit of rejection that is just smothering the life out of her, we could build about six new church buildings. It's a wicked, wicked sin in American life. And by the way, Men, too, have been deserted by their wives and left with that same spirit of rejection, which is the fruit of faithlessness. So what are the results of faith and faithfulness? Well, if I grow in faithfulness, I grow in stability. I grow in stability. I become more and more dependable, able able to withstand the storms of life. Let me give you an illustration that makes this easy to understand. Suppose you have a good, strong fruit tree. And that tree is faithful to produce fruit. And it will produce fruit year after year after year after year. And that tree is faithful because it has grown strong over the years. And as it grows in strength, it grows in faithfulness. It can withstand windstorms and hailstorms and it can survive ice storms. But suppose you plant a tiny little tree and then after you plant it, an ice storm comes. It can't survive because it hasn't had time to grow in strength and therefore it's not faithful to produce fruit. And it dies because it did not have the seasons of faithful production that would have allowed it to grow in stability and faithfulness. As a tree grows in strength, it grows in faithfulness. And as it grows in faithfulness, it grows in fruitfulness. It's the same in our lives. The more faithful we are, the stronger we become. The stronger we become, the more faithful we are. You see how it's just this cycle. The more faithful we are, the more fruitful we become. The more fruit we bear, the stronger we become. The stronger we become, the more faithful we are. Faithfulness introduces into our lives a wonderful cycle of growing from strength to strength, stability to stability, and glory to glory. But here's the thing, a stable foundation that has been faithfully, diligently, and carefully built is able to to support a larger structure. But if you shortcut the foundation, if you run for a quick fix in church growth or in personal growth or in discipleship or in relationships or in marriage or in child rearing or in business, if you shortchange yourself on the foundation, and you move too quickly for the glitzy, big-time, showy structure, you will pay for it in the end. You will pay for it. Uh, There's a a mother and a little boy who went to hear the legendary violinist Yasha Heifetz. And he, he played a concert at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. And at the end of the concert, the mother shouldered her little young violinist up through the crowd and 
got to, to Mr. Heifetz and said, this is Joseph introducing her son and said, Joseph is a violinist. And then she said, oh, Mr. Heifetz, I would, I would just give my whole life if Joseph could learn to play like you do. And he looked at her and he said, it won't help for you to give your life. He has to give his. And then little Joseph said, I would give up my life. I would give my life to be able to play like you. And he looked at the little boy and said, I did. We must be committed to the lifetime work of Christianity. The, the, the experience of receiving Christ as Savior, being filled with the Holy Spirit, finding an experience of, uh, of deliverance, receiving a blessing, whatever it is that God does for us, that must, hear me on this, that, that must be followed by the careful stone upon stone building of a foundation that will be able to support the structure that God wants to add later on. And there, there is no short-term substitute for long-term faithfulness. There are no shortcuts. If you see somebody who's just a pillar of the faith and you look at them and you say, man, I want to be like them. I want you to understand something. To be like them, you're going to have to walk for years with the Lord the way they have. There is no shortcut. You have to walk in faithfulness because of your faith in God. Another result of faithfulness in my life is that God will trust the faithful person, faithful person with more. And if I could only impress this on young people, young people tend to, what they tend to do, they tend to want to run past the early stages of anything, right? You know what I'm talking about? I was the same way when I was a young man. I mean, you get called to preach and, and we just, you know, we want to become the pastor of a mega church overnight. And there's, and we just want to run past all of the preparation side of it. But listen to me, preparation. This is so important. If you're young and you, you need to hear this very, very clearly and, and take this to heart, preparation is never wasted time. It's never wasted time. You see, when I was young and I, I felt the call of God on my life to preach, I wanted to go do it because I was like, eh, people are dying and going to hell. I got to do something now. But, but, but you know what? Preparation was not a waste of time because I thought, I don't want to waste my time studying. Well, it's, it's, I look at back now at that attitude and I want to laugh at myself. It's not wasted time. Preparation is never wasted time. What you need to do is sharpen your tools before you get to the garden. Isn't that right, Lee? You want to have your tools working before you get out in the field. Or when you're there, you find out it's too dull to work, then you waste time because you have to leave in the hot sun, walk back to the tool shed, sharpen everything, and then go back again. God is waiting for the person who will prove faithful in small things before he will trust him with the expansion of his influence. Listen, I believe with my whole heart that God has called me to be the pastor of Restoration Life Church. I believe that. And, and here's the thing. If I fail her here, if it goes wrong somehow or another, I'm going to have to look at the Lord and I'm going to say, Lord, thank you for teaching me because I obviously ran ahead of you. It's not your fault. God, teach me what, what you want wherever you want me to, to be. And my friends, I humble myself before you. I do not yet know all that will happen in this church. I believe that God's going to do great things. Time will tell. I'm thrilled at what God is doing now, and I'm excited about what He wants to do. But, but here's all I can do, and all I can say is that I find myself on my knees before God, saying, God, just let me be faithful. 
Let me be faithful. You do what you're going to do. I don't know what everything you're going to accomplish. I'm believing for great things, God, but let me be faithful. And in fact, if I have faith that God is going to do great things, that is what get, will give birth to me being faithful. Because in that process, there are going to be some discouraging moments. Anybody found, had a few discouraging moments in your life? And in that, in that, when that moment comes, when that discouraging moment comes, if I don't have faith that God is going to accomplish what he, what I believe he's going to accomplish, I will give up and I will be faithless. But because I have faith, I, I pray, God, let me be faithful. Week after week, God, just let me teach the word. Let me minister to the people. Let me feed your sheep, oh God. Let me pray for your people. Let me preach. Let me be faithful this year and then next year and then the year after that and the year after that because here's what I know is that we as a congregation, if we prove faithful as a congregation to God, if we prove faithful in ministry to this many that we have today, then God may trust us with twice this many next year or at the right time. But I, but I don't want one person in this church until we're prepared before God to minister to that person. I don't, I don't want a show and, and a flamboyant ministry that will gather bodies into one place and then not have any goods to deliver. Faithfulness is learning how to be diligent in that which you have and, it is, and, and not running ahead of God into the things that are to come. So how do I increase my faithfulness? This is the most important thing. I'm almost ready to close. Revelation 12, 11 says, They triumphed over him. They defeated Satan. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. By the blood of the Lamb, we grow in faithfulness by constant dependence on grace. I cannot make myself faithful by, by determining to be faithful. I allow God to make me more faithful by depending on His faithfulness. And the more I depend on God, the more like Him I become. I become. If I become proud and independent and trust in my own strength, then I will begin to manufacture uh, uh, counterfeit substitutes in the flesh. But the more I, in broken and humble submission, constantly plead the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, then the stronger and more faithful I become. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by knowing that we are constantly depending, uh, dependent upon grace, we grow in faithfulness. Secondly, they, overcome, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We grow in faithfulness by reaffirming over and over again our constant commitment. I happen to be a very lucky man because I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And you may ask me, do you really believe you're married to the most beautiful woman in the world? Well, I have a word for you. I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Every time I look at her, every time I say that, every time I'm with her, every time she kisses me, she becomes more beautiful to me. I fall more in love with her every time I tell her that. She's more beautiful to me every time I tell somebody else that she's beautiful. I grow in the richness of our relationship every, every time I affirm my commitment to that relationship. And we overcome Satan 
by confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to grow more and more faithful to God, then act that faithfulness out by a verbal commitment. Tell anybody and everybody. You want to make everybody nervous on a crowded elevator? Just, just wait until the next time you're in an elevator that's really, really crowded. Get on there and then turn around and face everybody and say, Jesus is so beautiful. He is so wonderful. He's the lover of my soul. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup is just running over. I'm just so happy. I'm more in love with Jesus this year than I've ever been before. I promise you they'll get off of the next floor. They won't even wait for their floor. Most of them are getting off the next floor. I promise you. But every time you express your faithfulness to Christ. Every time you confess to someone else how beautiful and lovely Christ is, the more your heart grows in love with Him and the more faithful you become. Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, whoever is ashamed of me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And then finally, the last thing, it says, They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. But here's the third thing. Sometimes we leave this part off. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is talking about willing, being willing to pay the price for discipleship. You know, a lot of people talk about prayer who aren't praying. A lot of people talk about reading the Bible that aren't reading the Bible. But I, I really believe, my friends, that it's time for us to decide in the Western church if we're going to get down to business, it's time for us to decide if we're going to be real about this thing. It's time for us to decide if we're all in or not. Because here's the thing. If we're not all in, we're probably not in at all. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are paying the price of discipleship with their lives. With their lives. They're not playing games. Listen, when somebody comes to faith in Christ and confesses Christ in Sudan, they know there's a heavy price. In fact, it, there's a very good chance it will cost them their life. So they're not playing games. We have it easy here, so it's easy for us to play games. And it's time for us to say no more. Listen, Christianity is a, is a martyr faith, and we're... We're not willing to pay the price on our knees. We, we say, God, we, I want to know more about your word, but not, we're not willing to spend time reading it. We say, God, make me faithful, but we're not willing to be faithful. We, we say, God, I, I just want to grow in the rich abundance of life in Christ, but we don't want that to cost us anything. And I believe with my whole heart that God has an abundance of life and power and grace that is prepared for us, of which we can't even begin to dream. I tell you, we are barely scratching the surface of this thing. But we're not going to get it until we're willing to pay the price a little bit. I want to close by telling you about a Mexican pastor and his wife and four little girls from North Mexico. God called him to start a church in a very mean little village called Boca de Juan Capitan. You know what that means? The mouth of Captain John. I don't know what could make somebody to name their town. Hey, let's call it the mouth of Captain John. I don't know. I don't know the history of it. I don't know any of that. But that's the name of Boca, Boca de Juan Capitan. Well, this village was so evil. 
that there had been a mass murder the week before this pastor went there to start his church. An entire family had been wiped out, five people, and the officials, the, the state officials, the police, they wouldn't even go into the village to, to investigate it. They, they said, if you know who murdered them, bring them out to the high wheel and we'll, we'll arrest them there. But it was so dangerous in that village that the police wouldn't even go into the village to investigate the murder. Well, this man took his wife and four little girls and went out to this village and planted a little Pentecostal church. The only vehicle he had was a motorcycle. <laughs> which is kind of funny when you think about a family of six with a motorcycle. What he did was he, he, uh, he built a funny little contraption uh, to go on back of his motorcycle, and he turned his motorcycle into sort of like a little, a little tiny flatbed pickup truck uh, and, and by placing planks of wood across the seat and bracing them up. And his wife would sit on the back of the motorcycle, and they would, they would this sounds horrible and frightening to us, but this is what they did. They would lay all four little girls down across like cordwood on the back of that little platform and this rope them down. They tied them onto it, make sure they didn't fall off. So they didn't have a seatbelt, so that's what they did. But, but, but why did he go? Why did he go to such a dark, violent place? Was it because they paid him a huge salary to come and they promised they would build him a wonderful church? No, no. In fact, as he would drive through the village, the men of the village would throw stones at him and his family. They humiliated him. They tried to do everything they possibly could to humiliate his wife and little girls to discourage them. Sometimes they'd be in their building and he'd be having a church service and people would, men in the village would come by with, with these machetes and they'd stick machetes through the, the wooden slats of the church because, you know, it wasn't all, you know, nice and done up like it is here, but they had just wooden slats and they would stick the machetes through the slats and run them up and down so that if anybody happened to be sitting next to the wall, they would get cut by the machete. The only people who would come was a handful of little old ladies. And they'd come and they'd all sit in the middle of the church and listen to this man's messages. But he just kept showing up week after week after week, being faithful to the calling. One night, the men of the village could stand it no longer. And they showed up with, rope, with, a rope, with ropes and shotguns and machetes, and they, they kicked the door off the hinges and charged into the little church. And they looked at that pastor and they said, we've had it with you. They said, we will let you, and your, let you take your wife and your daughters and drive out of this village now if you promise not to ever come to this village again. They said, unless you promise us that, we're going to tie your hands up and we're going to bend you over that altar rail and we're going to cut your head off with his machete right now. This man looked at this mob of angry, demonized attackers and he said, God is faithful. God is faithful. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, and He refused to draw back from the pain of the cross. He was faithful all the way to the end, and God has sent me to plant a church in this village, and I'm going to be faithful all the way to the end. And they said, don't you understand? We're going to cut your head off. You know what that pastor did? He knelt down, and he put his head on the altar rail, and he said, go ahead. It doesn't belong to me anyway. And those men stood over him with their machetes poised and 
demons in their eyes and a shotgun holding the congregation at bay and, and ropes in their hands and they, to, to bind his hands and they, they raised their machetes and they looked at him in anger. And then one by one, they dropped their machetes and they knelt at the altar beside the pastor. And the Pentecostal church in Boca de Juan Capitan was birthed in the martyr spirit of one man who said, go ahead, take my head. It doesn't belong to me anyway. We've got to get in touch with that kind of faith. We've got to get in touch with that kind of faithfulness. Faith that is faithful. Not faith that is claiming Cadillacs by faith. Not faith that is dancing in the aisles but won't hold up under fire. We've got to get in touch with the kind of faithfulness that will see it through to the end. Faithfulness that's diligent in the workplace. Faithfulness that'll cause husbands not to leave wives when things get tough. Faithfulness that is birthed in a faith in the faithfulness of God that says, I know my Redeemer lives. And because He lives, I will be faithful. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we come into Your presence, Lord, I, I've, I've, just, I've just done what I can do. And Lord, my flesh has been weak, but God, I sense your presence here. And we just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Stir things up in our hearts. And where we have been fooling ourselves, where we have claim to have faith but have been faithless God I pray that you would convict us of that sin it's not a condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ but it is a conviction that there's something more convince us oh God that it's okay to let go convince us that it's okay to have a faith that says take it if you want my head take it it doesn't belong to me anyway. Lord, help us to get to that place where we just truly are all in. And Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, as you're dealing with us today, God, I know one simple response to a message, one prayer, one, raising our hand today, that's, that's a powerful step, but God, it's, it's, it's not, this is not what this message is about. This is about living out faithfully every day the faith that we claim to have. And Lord, I pray that you would give birth to that faithfulness that's, that's, that's rooted in your faithfulness. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know about you, but I feel the tugging of the Spirit saying, why, why are you holding back that thing? Why are, you, why are you holding back the, the one thing that you think is so precious that you're afraid to let me have? Maybe it's even your children. You say, I, I, I just am afraid to give them to the Lord because what if He calls them to a dangerous place? Well, what if He does? We don't live for this world, do we? I'm afraid to give him my finances. I'm afraid to tithe because I don't know if I'll be able to pay my bills. Well, 
All I know is His promise. Can we have faith in that? Or you say, I'm, I'm afraid to give Him my marriage because I, I, just, I, just, I just don't know if, it's, if I can make it. Whatever it is. And you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Include me in this prayer. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to be included in this prayer, trust me. You say, Pastor, I want to be all in. I want to be like that pastor. I want that kind of grace. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of surrender. And if that's you this morning, you'd say, and you'd like me to pray, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Boy, they're up all over the place. Listen, you're not alone if you're raising your hand. In fact, if you're not raising your hand, you're in the vast minority. You can put it right back down. I want to pray for you. Father, you see where we are. And God, in this moment, I believe that there is great, great sincerity in our hearts. And God, in this moment, there are some of us that are repenting before you and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for holding back. I'm sorry, God, for playing the game. But God, I also know that this idea of faith and faithfulness is not about a one-time moment of sincerity. But God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would fill us with your spirit and help us, God, to walk this out every single day. That the rest of this day, and then when we wake up tomorrow, God, that we'll be reminded of the God we serve. And, and instead of just saying, well, I, I, I want to be uh, more like Jesus, that we'll grow in our faithfulness. That we'll remain dependent upon your grace and we'll make confession of Christ to everyone we can and tell them about what you're doing. And God, that we will surrender our lives and that we'll not, we'll not shy away no matter what it costs. I pray, God, that you'd help us to live that, that. And Lord, that we'll do it one moment at a time, one day at a time, and that you would string those things together and that by your grace, God, that we'll look back one day and have a lifetime of faithfulness and we'll realize that our roots have grown deep and that our lives have become fruitful. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.